This is your Friday Daily Delivery Podcast. I am Michael Rand. Really, really excited for today's show. Teresa Resch, an executive with the Toronto Raptors and a Minnesota native, will be with us in a little bit. We'll debut a fun new segment with uh, Randball Stew, Steve Newman, uh, called Are These Guys For Real?, where I quiz him about uh, twins players in this case. Um, I'm going to ask Wild fans to change their face and give uh, Brian Dozier uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of love here at the end of the podcast. But first, what did you miss? Carson Wentz, former North Dakota State standout quarterback, man after my own heart since I am also a North Dakota native, traded from Philadelphia to the Colts. Interesting parameters of the deal. The Colts giving up a second-round pick and a third-round pick, and that second-round pick becomes a first-round pick if Wentz plays at least 75% of the snaps in 2021. Um, I wrote a blog post about this on Thursday, startribune.com, on the Ramball blog. You can check that out. really want to touch quickly on the highlights of that, though, because obviously... Just like anything, this leads me to questions about Kirk Cousins' potential trade value because a lot of you still have, you know, kind of this this thought that what if the Vikings explored that this offseason, especially in the uh, volatile quarterback market? I'm I'm included, and yeah, I, I get it. A lot of things can lead me to think about a Kirk Cousins trade market. It doesn't just take a Carson Wentz trade. I could be eating a ham sandwich or simply walking down the street and have a thought about Kirk Cousins' trade market. But first and a third potentially for Carson Wentz, who had a really bad season in 2020, um, played like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, while Kirk Cousins played like one of the, I don't want to say one of the best, but certainly one of the top 10 or 12 quarterbacks in the NFL last season. So, What does that mean for Kirk Cousins' trade value if he was going to be available in a trade? Well, it's not a perfect apples-to-apples comparison, but the Vikings, if they were to pursue this, I think that that this shows that Kirk Cousins is worth at least a first-round pick in a trade because I think you can reasonably assume that his 2021 season is going to be at least as good as Carson Wentz's. So what does that mean? Well, that means it would be awfully tempting, at the very least, if a suitor came calling and wanted to trade for Kirk Cousins. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Very happy right now to be joined by Teresa Resch, a Lakefield, Minnesota native who is an executive with the Toronto Raptors, um, Timberwolves and Raptors playing Friday night in uh, at Target Center. Um, they played pretty recently in Tampa, um, as Minnesota and Toronto often do. Uh, Teresa, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, let, let's start with that odd fact that I just <clears throat> that I just put out there with the Wolves. Um, they got that rare road win over the Raptors, but it was in Tampa. Everything this year is kind of a road game for Toronto. You are actually in Tampa right now. What what have what have been the challenges of of that piece of this season of the Raptors essentially relocating to to Tampa as a as a temporary home in this COVID season? Yeah, it is a unique fact. Uh, you know, coming down, you know, it's still the T, I guess, Tampa, Toronto. Um, but yeah, we're calling Tampa home for the season. Uh, you know, they have a, quite a track record right now with uh, the Buccaneers winning the, the Super Bowl. Uh, they had the Stanley Cup champion uh, 
lightning that we're actually right. sharing the arena with right now. And then, you know, the Rays also made a run and, and we're in the World Series. So they, they the nickname now down here is Champa Bay. So hopefully <laughs> we can uh, can join in a little bit of that that championship spirit can um, can rub off on us. Uh, or maybe maybe I like to think we brought it down with us. I don't know. Maybe, still, still maybe happy, you did. You did win the championship two years ago. We'll get into exactly. that in a minute. But exactly. Yeah, the, it's but of, it has been, yeah, yeah, it has been challenging. I mean, I think if you think about uh, if you've ever moved, you know, relocating your life and your family, um, it's exactly the same thing, except for we're talking about an entire organization. So uh, you have to move the house. You have to move the couch. Well, we had to move <laughs> the past facility. We had to move the courts. We had to move the weight room equipment. We had to move the medical equipment or rent and find something locally that we could use in, in that place. So you also talk about, you know, calling home. So everybody has places that they live in uh, Toronto, whether it's temporary for the season or all year round, depending upon your role and, and your situation. Well, we had to do the same thing in Tampa. So all those transitions. And then ultimately, um, if you're if you're changing and you're moving, there's a familiarity with your surroundings and with your community. Uh, you know, you go to the same place for coffee every day, and you you know you do the same walk maybe, or you just feel familiar. You know where the post office is. You know, you don't know those things down in Tampa. So getting used to all those things and getting settled into your environment as well. Our entire organization has gone through all those things in the last 90 days. That's and it and it yeah. That I'm glad you said last 90 days because it was not only that, but it's a compressed off season it's you know the the uncertainty of where exactly you would be you would be playing i imagine it's i don't want to you know give toronto this uh, ultimate free pass but i imagine it has contributed to to at least some of the the strangeness of the start of the season and maybe even you know toronto under 500 right now i i do wonder if it's if it's part of you know players just still kind of getting acclimated to what is going on this year uh, in in that regard I mean, I think everybody knew going into this season that it was not going to be normal. You know, it was going to be anything, yeah. anything but that. Um, all the way leading up to you, you mentioned it a compressed off season. You know, we had the draft. I think it was November nineteenth, and free agency yeah. started a week later. That was you know, like three months. Time, that was three months ago. <laughs> yeah, which was three months ago. So, you know, most of the time we have you know, a couple of weeks to figure that out. And then, you know, it was not only was it one week between the draft and free agency, but then it was literally two days between free agency and their season starting. You know, most of the time we have a summer league, uh, new guys can get acclimated to the team. You have a chance to evaluate what else, uh, what other talent is there that can maybe help bolster your roster. You have time to develop your new players, introduce them to a system. All those things that happened in a regular offseason just didn't exist this, this year. And then if put on top of that, just not even knowing where we're going to be playing and trying to get everything settled and, and kind of transitioned once we did have an idea in those two weeks was, um, was quite challenging. But I think we'll never truly know the impact that it's had um, just because you know, a lot of it is kind of this unsettledness that you feel and everybody reacts to it differently. And when you're in the moment of it, you, you, you aren't even quite sure what variables are really affecting you um, because it's the, the condensed version. There's obviously some actual physical things that go with that and prepping for a season. There's new players that you have to get acclimated to and obviously new surroundings. So I don't think we'll ever really be able to pinpoint, you know, what's been affecting whether good or bad, but we all know that it's very, very different. And um, we know that change is, change is hard and uncertainty is almost more difficult than, 
than anything. So yeah. trying to trying to kind of navigate those things has been challenging, not only for for a basketball team, but honestly for all of society that that's happening right now. Your day to day job. Can you describe it for me and, and for the listener? You are va- vice president of basketball operations. You've been with the Raptors for several years now. How would you describe what you do with the club? It's a great question. I get it often because honestly, the job title doesn't really describe what I do. Um, uh, but I've been there for eight seasons. I think it's taken me about eight seasons to figure out how to describe what I do. <laughs> but I'm basically I'm basically a chief of staff for our president of our team. I my 30 second kind of pitch is that my job, my responsibility is to ensure that everyone that's connected to the Toronto Raptors has the resources available to compete at a championship level. So okay. it can be the players, it can be the coaching staff, as well as our business side. You know, I, I need to make sure that I'm liaisoning with our brand team so that they understand what product we're putting on the court so they can tell the fans um, our message of, of how we play and who we are in the best possible way. So it's very all encompassing. I'm definitely a generalist amongst uh, some really, really elite level um, experts in their in their area groups. So I, I kind of connect the dots between all those different different groups. It sounds exciting. I mean, it's it's a it's a cool it's a cool sounding job. I mean, you I'm, I'm, I hope that you love it because it sounds like you have to, it sounds like you're busy at the very least. Well, guaranteed, guaranteed <laughs> busy. Something new every day. There is no day. There's no two days that are the same. That's for sure. And you played volleyball and basketball at Jackson County Central. Patrick Royce, columnist that our newspaper has written about mm-hmm. you in the past. He, col- I went back and read a column he wrote a couple years ago that included an anecdote from your dad, Jim, in which he described being there when you got the call from the Raptors when you were initially hired. And your dad recalled you saying, yes, I'm interested, but I'm not going up there to be a secretary. And your dad said, that was Teresa right there, not loud, but confident. Do you remember that moment? And does the not loud, but confident description feel like it describes you well? Oh, it's funny you say that because my dad always gives me a hard time for being really loud. <laughs> <laughs> He's always like, you got to check your hearing. Uh, but yes, I, I remember it very well. I was in Minnesota at the time. I had worked at the league office for five years and I had left to work for Lifetime Fitness, um, health and wellness company headquartered in Chanhassen there. I was running their basketball programming, Ultimate Hoops. And I was visiting Lakefield, which is about a three hour drive southwest of Minneapolis for my dad's birthday. So that's why I was actually down there. So yes, I do remember it. Um, I don't necessarily remember that exact comment that I made, but I definitely knew I I had, I had a, you know, I I knew I had known Masai as we had worked together uh, when I was at the league office, I'd worked in international basketball operations and I was in charge of all the logistics for a lot of the development camps that we were running at the time. And we run one um, in partnership with FIBA on the continent of Africa and Masai I uh, was born and raised in Nigeria, northern Nigeria, and he would serve as our, our um, camp director there. So I'd worked with him over the course of three summers, and I had left the MBA, and so I hadn't really kept in touch that closely, but he called and was like, hey, I'm uh, standing here next to your old boss, and I got the job in Toronto, and curious, you know, if you would want to join me with my team. And I really pressed him because I was like, what do you want me to do? Because yeah. I didn't really see how the skills that I had in operations, specifically really events um, and development, transitioned to a team, right? Because my concept of a team was more about the coaching and the strategy and the, the personnel side. Sure. Um, so I needed to hear from him what he, what he wanted me to do and the role that he 
thought I could play and the value I was going to add. So I don't, I don't necessarily know if I said I'm not going to be a secretary, but I know I definitely pressed him on yeah. um, wondering where he saw me fit within his team. That's but a, he was building a, in Toronto. I like the way you put that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're thankfully seeing a lot more women executives hired in sports, obviously still not enough, but there are some organizations that are, far more proactive, progressive, however you, however you want to term it, than others in seeking out top employees, whether they're women or men, and the Raptors are one of those organizations. How, how would you describe the culture within that organization? Well, I mean, that's one of my jobs as the vice president of operations is to ensure that we have a really great culture and environment that everybody feels like they can perform their best and be themselves when they come to work. Yeah. So I'm very proud of the culture that we have in this organization and the environment that we we have created for people to come and work every day. Um, I feel that the fact that we have so many women that play a role in this environment has helped um, helped us as, as an organization um, in many, many ways. Um, number one, they're all the women that work for the Raptors are really, really good at their jobs. So I think they add value, right. add value at that. It's like, I think we brought them because they're the best and they've definitely demonstrated that. But then I think secondly, it just becomes, um, it, it becomes part of the norm. Like we just, right. we just talked about with moving. It's like, there is, when you see a woman walking into the training room, you don't act differently because they're part of the organization. They're part of the culture. Everybody understands and expects them to be there because that's their job. And I think that unfortunately that still is, is a case in a lot of work environments where a woman is um, a lot of times the only, so then they're treated differently and singled out because of that. And it's really, really hard to overcome those things when you are the only. So it's helped that we have many women in all facets of the organization playing impactful roles and that we expect them to be part of that. And I think that because we expect a lot of our employees, um, there's, there's an acceptance of that. And I would say like beyond an acceptance, like it would be very, very different um, environment if, if women didn't play a, a large role in it. A couple more things and we'll, we'll, we'll finish up and let you get back to all the many things I'm sure you have to do today and, and the rest of this season, the Raptors, like we talked about at the outset, they won the NBA championship two seasons ago last year, Kawhi Leonard leaves and you have an even better regular season winning percentage, even through all the weirdness of, of COVID the, 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 you know, the shortened season, some struggles this year, but generally better lately. Your two leading scorers are Fred Van Vliet, who was undrafted and Pascal Siakam, a late first round pick who improved greatly, you know, over the last five seasons, particularly last, you know, few, how does, I'm sure everybody's looking for the secret sauce and we probably get asked this a lot, but how does Toronto find and maybe more importantly develop these largely, you know, less heralded players and, and turn them into, you know, valuable members of, of the on-court, uh, on-court team. I mean, I'd love to say and take all the credit, but you I mean, should. I Go honestly, ahead. I honestly do it. Do it. I'll take all the credit. No, but I have to say like, it has a lot to do with the work that both Fred and Pascal have put into it. Like it, they don't get to the level they are if they aren't fully committed, if they aren't putting in the hours and hours and of work that they have. So I think first and foremost, like you gotta, we've done a good job of picking players who are gonna work and get better, honestly, yeah. because I don't think that there's many people out there that um, have worked as hard or have been as committed and passionate um, of their approach around the game as, sure. as those two players. Um, 
I think what we've done though is we've we've developed uh, environment and also a pathway for players to really grow and be them best their best selves, like providing the resources that they can that we do in order to really um, make the most of the opportunity is what mm -hmm. I'm gonna say. You know, I sure. think, you know, a lot of people um, don't necessarily have that opportunity. So we're, we're putting in place those things that we, we know that if you do, if you commit to, you have a chance, you have a chance to be at the best. So, yeah. um, you know, a couple of things that when I went there, when I joined the Raptors eight years ago, uh, we did not have, we did not have a G league team. We did not mm -hmm. have a minor league team. Yep. Um, three years later, we, we won the G league championship and two of the players that led us there were Fred and Pascal. And I think the fact that they played significant minutes on that team for that season, um, their rookie year shows that they were um, really um, invested in their own growth and they saw how getting playing time, even if it wasn't with the Raptors, it was the Raptors five was going to pay big dividends. So like the fact that they embraced that and, and really, you know, leaned in, I think shows the players that they have become today. Like you could, you could project that then. Um, well, I, I'll take that back. I don't think anybody's going to project exactly a NBA championship two years later, but uh, we could all hope for that. Um, and then the second piece is uh, when I went there, when I started with the Raptors eight years ago, is we were practicing out of a practice court with a attached weight room that was about the size of my 600 square foot apartment in Toronto. Okay. And that was it. We had no office space. We had no real home of our own other than this, this kind of like auxiliary space within a shared hockey MBA and concert arena. Um, and, you know, I have to hand it to the Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment Board. They really invested in, in not only the Raptors, but all their teams. They built us a standalone practice facility that we can call our own and really have a great workspace to work on the craft of basketball. And I think, you know, those two things were a huge investment by our organization that I think has paid huge dividends in the development of our players, both the ones that you read in the headlines, like Fred and Pascal, and a lot of the role players too, that, you know, may not, may not be an all-star voted most improved player of an entire NBA season, but definitely contribute to who we are as an organization. Well, Awesome stuff. I really enjoy getting to to hear more about your story, getting to hear more about what the Raptors do so well. Uh, Teresa Resch, thank you so much for joining me here today on the Daily Delivery Podcast. Thanks for having me. And I'd say good luck on Friday, but uh, I hope the Raptors come out on top and good luck to the Wolves every other game. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. Uh, Alexi, change, change the face. Be happy. Enjoy. So I didn't watch the wild game last night. I, I look on Twitter, it's probably like 10, 20, um, and I see everybody griping about the Wild. I assume they're way down, um, second game back from the, the COVID break. I think uh, the way people are talking about it, it's probably, what, they're about down 3 nothing, 4 nothing. They're up 2 nothing at that point, and people are still upset, and I get that it was a ragged game. I read Sarah McClellan's game story on StarTribune.com. They ended up winning 3-1, to so... I don't get the angst sometimes when teams are actually winning. So I'm imploring you, um, Wild fans and sports fans here at Minnesota in general, when the team is winning, if even if it's ugly, uh, change your face. Try to be happy. Okay, you guys ready to have some fun? I'm ready to have some fun. I'd like to welcome in Randball Stu, Steve Newman from the internet. Um, Stu from the internet showing up on my, uh, on my Zoom screen right now. Um, long time... 
internet friend of mine, um, a, one of the original Randball commenters. He's gone on to write a bunch of great stuff. He's gone on to a successful podcast of his own, The Sportive. Stu, how are you today? You know, Mike, I'm not going to correct you about CDs, so I'm doing better than uh, the lead singer of The Hold Steady. Uh, I'm gunning for Chris Hine right now, actually. He's been on twice. Chris. I've only been on once, that's so right. that's my goal. I want to surpass Chris Hine. Um, I know some stuff about Carol King, but not nearly enough. He was the first He was the first two-time guest. I should have brought that up on, uh, on Tuesday's show, but I didn't. Um, that was a mistake. Another mistake. Not as bad as calling um, new releases a CD. I'm still st- I'm stuck in the glorious past, Stu. And yeah, I will I will thank you to let me stay there, please. Um, but Stu is here because I have a new segment on the show called "Are These Guys for Real?" And Stu is going to help me out with this periodically. The premise is I'm going to read a list of ten names, and Stu and you, the listener at home, are going to decide. Is this person really a former Minnesota athlete or did I just make this person up completely? Not even an athlete at all, just a name that I made up, a figment of my imagination. In honor of pitchers and catchers reporting this week, Stu, I have put together a list that includes former Minnesota Twins players. All of them appeared in at least five games for a Twins team in the last decade that lost at least 90 games. So that would be... (laughs) 2011 2012 2013 2014 or 2016 those are the rosters we are dealing with here i'm going to read off a list of names you have to tell me is this guy for real are you ready to play Stu? i've never been more ready mike i I believe that actually okay first one i want you to tell me is this guy for real jeff underwood jeff underwood is not for real yeah you're right jeff underwood's not real just the name i picked out when i pick out names i'm trying to get I, i don't know why certain names popped into my head or like, as I was trying to create fictitious names, I was like, this guy sounds like a plausible twin. For yeah. Me. He sounds like a left-handed re- reliever who like threw really soft, but you know, pitched to contact was a real glue guy for the, for, for the real glue guy. Yep. Definitely was a glue guy, but he wasn't real. Mm. Okay, good. Good. You're one for one. Second one, Chuck James. Ooh, real. Chuck James was real. Yes. You're yes. two for two. He pitched for the, 2011 twins um after a couple years out of the league he was with atlanta earlier in his career actually had a decent year starting for them in 2007 went 11 and 10 the two point uh sorry 4.24 era with the twins not as good eight appearances for the 2011 twins 6.1 era all of them in relief um that's when things weren't going great for the twins that was actually so, the last year for chuck james in the majors one of the better relievers in 2011 6.1 that was not bad i mean when we in the big picture of things 6.10 probably doesn't seem too bad okay Stu is on fire two for two matt carson real Matt Carson was real. Stu, you know you're bad twins. Oh. Matt Carson played for the 2012 Twins. Uh, 69 plate appearances that year. Um, 227 batting average, 489 uh, OPS that year. Um, he originally with uh, Oakland. Do you know what position he played? Do you remember what position he played? Oh, gosh, let's say catcher. He was an outfielder, okay. actually. He was an outfielder. Uh, born in Newport Beach, California, according to baseball oh, reference. Okay. Sweet. But that was... That was not part of the quiz, though. You are three for three in your uh, in your former uh, your former twins. Uh, number four, Matt Maloney. Ooh. Oh, this is a t- this is a tough one, Mike. This is this is a thinker. Um, I'm going to go not real. 
No, Matt Maloney was real. Ah, 2012 Minnesota Twins. Matt Maloney um, pitched in nine games, as it turned out. 11 innings, oh. 17 hits, 10 runs. Maybe explains why those were the last <laughs> um, 11 innings of his major league career. All of these guys go. We're, we're not do. We're not doing this, by the way, to mock any of these players. If you made it to the major leagues, you were obviously a very good player. This is more of a lost players of twins history um quiz that we're doing here so Stu has met has mm. missed his first one he's three for four still um you know so that's that's still pretty good um, yeah but still i i have high expectations yeah uh, yeah. Num- okay fifth one ian duncan not real not real no not real at all i don't know i don't know what made me think the twins would have a guy named ian duncan but if they did no. he's probably like a Kind of like a light hitting utility infielder, maybe. Yeah, it traded uh, one of their other, uh, like a backup catcher to the Blue Jays to get Ian Duncan. <laughs> Ian Duncan would be a good, a good yeah. name for someone from Toronto. Uh, yes. Good. Okay, so you're four for five. You're back on the winning side. Um, number six, Kyle Jefferson. Boy, not real. Not real. Nope. Just a just nope. a name. Just a just name. A I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a man somewhere named Kyle Jefferson, nope. but he never played for the Twins, as far as I could tell. Okay, doing good so far. Five for six. Josh Renicky. Josh Renicky is real. He's very real. In fact, I yes. the only reason I put him on this list is because I was I was surprised at just how real he was. Stu, how many games would you guess Josh Renicky pitched for the 2013 Twins? I'm gonna guess a half dozen. Let's go six. Sixty-three games. Oh, oh my god. Sixty-three games for the 2013 Twins. Did you remember him that much? No, I just, the Renicky, is he like related to Ron Renicky? I think he is. Um, I don't have that information directly in front of me, but uh, I assume any of the Renickys are related. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh, it says nephew of Ron Renicky, uh, son, son of Gary Renicky, former Major oh, League Baseball player. So wow. He's of the, he is of the baseball Renickys. The Renicky dynasty. The I Renicky didn't, dynasty. man, 63 games. Be, he wasn't that God. bad. He, he did okay. I mean, he got in 63 games. I mean, a lot of guys could have got in 63 games for that Twins team, but. Yep. You know, 62 innings, 30 runs, you know, his yeah, right, it was four, three, five. I oh mean, man, you know, battle his, battle his tail off for Guardian, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, okay, we got three left. Um, All right. Trevor Perkins. Not real. No, he's a, a combination of Trevor Plouffe and Glenn Perkins, but not an actual oh, man. Yeah. Tried to trick you there. Tried to <sighs> trick you like they would Tricky. put like they would do that. No. No. Um Number nine, so you're seven of eight. This is good. I hope everybody listening at home is doing just as well as Stu, if not better. Only trip up so far was Matt Maloney, who was, in fact, a Twins player. Second to last one, Neil Ramirez. Oof. Not real. Neil Ramirez was real. 2016. Ah. 2016 Twins, Neil Ramirez. Yeah, I'm just Not Stu had no prior knowledge of this list. By the way, this is we're going in cold. 2016 Twins. He pitched in eight games, um, 14 mm-hmm. innings, 15 hits, 10 runs. Could not yep. catch mm-hmm. lightning in a bottle though with the 2016 Twins. No. That brings us to our last one. You're seven for nine so far. Um, are these guys for real? Last one, uh, Bobson Dugnut. <laughs> Michael. That person yeah. is not real. No, he was a player in a made-up a made-up player name in the uh, one of the Super NES games. What was it? Fighting Baseball. Yes, I think it was Fighting Baseball. All the crazy, uh, ridiculous names like Bobson Dugnut, um, Ray McScriff, um, <laughs> Sleeve McDykel. All um, these like uncanny Valley baseball players that sort of <laughs> sounded like other former right. athletes. Yep, Dwight Rorschachel. 
um, <laughs> Todd Gonzalez. It was a, it's oh, a I, I, every time delightful. I need a, anytime I need a little laugh, I go to that list. That was kind of a freebie at the end. I want to end with. A, I don't want to end you. I don't want, didn't want to end on Neil Ramirez because yeah, that's that, gosh. So Neil, like N E A L or N E I L? N E I L is how I have it written oh, down. Let me man. double check that. Yeah, N E I L. Neil Ramirez. Uh, 185 career games, only eight of those for the Twins. It was 2016. I could give you a give you a game log if you want. I don't know how how deep we we need to go on. on Neil <laughs> I don't know that we need to go that deep but, unless uh, Neil's family is listening. <laughs> eight of ten, though. Eight of ten is good. Like this, it kind of shows the challenge. We're going to do this periodically with Stu because he has a good memory and because he he likes to play along. Um, he'll probably do it with some other, not just with Twins, but with other other teams and other other players in this market, but I'd say eight to 10 is a pretty good debut. Would you yeah, say I'm happy with it, but I want to do better, Mike. Okay. I think you can, maybe you can do better next time. We'll see. Um, but awesome. Uh, awesome job today. And I hope everybody at home had some fun too. And Stu, thank you so much for joining me here today on the daily delivery podcast. Anytime, Michael coming for you, Chris. Let's end with the cooler. Brian Dozier, former twin second baseman announces his retirement on Thursday, age 33. You might remember Dozier as maybe a, a, a really good player on some bad Twins teams. I don't think that's exactly fair, and I, I got a little data to, 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 to prove that. Yeah, he played on some bad teams in the, in the early and mid-2010s, uh, um, but he had 34 home runs in the 2017 wildcard season, 17 of those from August forward that season as the Twins mounted a furious rally to be the wildcard team and hit a home run in the wildcard game leading off against the Yankees in the first inning. He was a clutch player. He was durable, averaged 153 games uh, once he entered the lineup uh, for like five or six seasons. Brian Dozier, a really good, underrated player, and I really hope we can appreciate what he accomplished even in retrospect. That'll do it for today. Thank you for joining me all week on the Daily Delivery Podcast. We'll be back at it again Monday when I almost certainly will be talking about the Wolves against the Knicks on Sunday, and the game against former coach Tom Thibodeau. Lots of great guests next week as well. Look forward to that, and we'll see you again Monday.